Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture reading for today comes from the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. Hear these words. Later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. They set out on a boat, but throughout the night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. Jesus called to them, children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, no. He said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they did. And there were so many fish that they couldn't haul in the net. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat around himself, for he was naked, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they weren't far from shore, only about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. Yet the net hadn't torn, even with so many fish. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples could bring themselves to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. He asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I assure you that when you were younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and another will tie your belt and lead you where you don't want to go. He said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray together. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts Be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
Have you ever felt guilt? Have you ever felt shame? Now, normally these are not things we want to admit to each other, particularly maybe even in church. Social worker Brene Brown defines shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. She differentiates between shame and guilt by saying shame uh, convinces us that we are bad, that there's something about us in our core that's bad, unworthy, unlovable. Guilt reminds us that we have done something bad. Do you see the difference? Guilt is about an action or a lack of an action. Our story today, our scripture reading today, Peter, he is stuck in a shame and guilt cycle. My grandfather was from South Georgia, and oftentimes when you asked him how he was doing, he would say, I'm just sorry. And we were like, well, granddaddy, what do you mean by that? Did you do something wrong? Did you hurt someone's feelings? Did you tick off a neighbor? Like, what are you sorry for? And maybe he meant he was sorry for something that he had done or failed to do or something he said that he shouldn't have said. But for my grandfather, being sorry or feeling sorry was a, feel, a feeling of feeling useless, worthless. You see, he was older and he couldn't do all that he wanted to do in his life. And so he just didn't feel like he had any sense of purpose or anything to offer people. So he felt sorry. Peter may have felt sorry. So today we're going to put on our scriptural imaginations as we consider the story of Peter and what happened out on the Sea of Tiberias or the, the Sea of Galilee, kind of up in the north, north of Jerusalem. You see, Jesus, he died on the cross, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. The tomb was empty. And in John's gospel, Jesus appears to the disciples while they're still in Jerusalem. He appears to them behind a, a closed, locked door. He shows up to them, reveals himself to them. And then he does it again several days later so that he can show his wounds to Thomas. Because Thomas missed out on the first time. And so in our scripture passage for today, Jesus' disciples, they have traveled back north to the Sea of Galilee. They were from that northern part of what we would understand to be Israel. And uh, they, many of them were fishermen. And so they lived in villages that were around the lake up there. So they've returned home. And probably all of them are kind of a little bit confused, at a loss as to what to do next. Jesus is alive and appeared to them, but like, what, is, what does that mean for them? What are they to do? Where are they to go? But Peter, he denied Jesus three times. And what's worse, Jesus told him he was going to do it. So Peter knows that Jesus knows that he denied Jesus three times. So Peter feels guilty over what he has done. Perhaps he feels shame maybe feeling a little sorry. 
So to distract himself from these feelings, Peter announces he is going fishing. He is a fisherman. Fishing is something he knows how to do. He feels comfortable out on the water. He has fished this body of water countless times. And surely a successful catch of fish will make him feel less bad about himself. So six of his friends, they go along with him. Peter is not alone. They fish for hours all throughout the night, and they catch nothing. So much for a distraction. So much for an opportunity to kind of prove himself and to show his worth by something that he can do. He let down Jesus, and now Peter feels like he's let down his friends. Peter and the disciples, they start to head back to shore. And there's a man that's standing at the edge of the lake, and he calls out to them, Hey, did y'all catch anything? And they call back, No. Empty nets, empty boat. The man tells them to cast their nets on the right side of the boat, and they will find fish. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd been fishing all night, if I were like Peter in that boat, and someone told me, well, you just need to cast your nets in another place on another side of the boat, I would probably roll my eyes, be like, they don't know what they're talking about. That's just dumb. But their nets are empty. And really, what's one more cast? Surely they have it in them just to cast one more time. So they did what the stranger said to do, and they caught an overwhelming abundance of fish. John announces to the group that this stranger must be the Lord Jesus. This is a miracle. This is a miracle of abundance right in front of them. And the disciples, they begin to head back for shore. But remember Peter, right? How is he feeling? Ashamed. Guilty. Sorry. He desperately wants to avoid Jesus. And yet he also wants to see Jesus and to make things right. He feels that pull within him of shame and desire to be reconnected to Jesus. And so Peter, always bold and impetuous, he throws his clothes on, masking his shame and his sorry, and he jumps into the water. He wades to the shore while his friends follow along with the boat. And our scripture passage reminds us that Jesus meets them on the beach with some fish and some bread, sets a fire, and they have a breakfast barbecue. And they receive the bread and the fish from Jesus, just like Jesus had fed the multitudes with a few loaves and some fish. They received bread from Jesus just like Jesus had given it to them in the upper room. The friends are all gathered around, and we can imagine them talking and laughing. They're filled with joy at being in the presence of their friend and their Lord Jesus again. But how do you think Peter feels? His stomach is queasy. Peter does not join in with the laughing and the conversation. He wonders when the talk with Jesus is going to happen. He worries about what Jesus will say. He does not want to see the look of disappointment on Jesus' face. 
He does not want to hear that he is no longer the rock on which Jesus will build his church. The disciples, they may not know that Jesus, or that Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so he frets over his friends finding out about his betrayal, about the wrong that he had done. He fears losing his friendships. He fears being alone. The friends notice Peter's withdrawal and his quiet. And Jesus notices too. So after, G- after breakfast, Jesus pulls Peter aside. And we can kind of imagine kind of Peter not really wanting to look Jesus in the eye, kind of looking down. He can't see, doesn't want to bear to see the disappointment on Jesus' face. Peter steals himself for the accusations. Why did you deny me? How could you? What's wrong with you? But no angry accusations come, do they? No blame. No shame. Just a simple question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter is surprised. Of course he loves Jesus. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus replies, feed my lambs. You can almost imagine Peter's sigh of relief. Jesus asks again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter shakes his head. Didn't didn't Jesus just ask him this question? Why is Jesus asking him, about love instead of the denials. Yes, Lord, you know I love you, Jesus responds, then take care of my sheep. Jesus asks a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here the scriptures tell us that Peter is sad. You see, sad, Jesus must have serious doubts about him. If Jesus is asking him, the same question again, a third time. Doesn't Jesus believe Peter? Peter exclaims, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Maybe, finally, this time, Jesus will believe Peter, he hopes. Jesus replies, feed my sheep and follow me. Did you notice that in this exchange, there is never once any shame, not any blame? Not once in this exchange does Jesus ask for an apology from Peter. Not once does Jesus ask him anything at all about the denials. Jesus sees that Peter is loaded down. And Jesus does not add to the burdens that Peter carries. Jesus knows that Peter regrets what he did. Jesus sees how sorry Peter feels. Jesus issues no ultimatums. Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, love. If Peter really does love Jesus, then Peter will endeavor to not deny Jesus again in the future. 
If Peter loves Jesus, then Peter will demonstrate that love in word and in action. If Peter loves Jesus, then maybe that's all that matters. Love. I think it's out of love for Peter that Jesus asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? You see, Jesus knew the answer. He might have only needed to ask him one time. But he asked him three times. And I think that's more for Peter's sake. You see, Peter was carrying that ledger book in his head. Three times I've denied Jesus. Three times I've done wrong. Three times I have debited on my account with Jesus. So three times he has the opportunity to confess his love for Jesus. Three times he has the opportunity, opportunity to make it right. Three times he can credit into his account. His slate is wiped clean. And he is free from guilt and shame. This exchange between Jesus, Jesus and Peter is often called Peter's reinstatement. Peter is reinstated as a leader in the Jesus movement. You see, Jesus often referred to himself as the good shepherd. And the people, you and I, we are his sheep. And so here, Jesus is passing down the mantle of shepherd leadership down to Peter. Peter is called to demonstrate his love and faithfulness for Jesus by his actions. Peter is called to feed the people. He's called to care for the people. He's called to follow Jesus. And people will follow Peter, and by token, will follow Jesus. You get that? So if Peter is following Jesus, and people are following Peter, Peter is leading people to Jesus. They're following in his leadership. But we also understand this to be an exchange of reconciliation. Peter's declarations of love and Jesus' forgiveness make Peter right again in relationship with Jesus. Peter is restored and reunited with Jesus. Throughout the spring, Pastor Vance and I have been doing these New Testament Bible studies. And a few weeks ago in one of my sessions, we, we read this passage and we talked about it. And one of the participants in the class referred to this exchange between Peter and Jesus as an eyelash-to-eyelash moment. And I just really liked that phrase. Because I could see it, right? At the beginning, Peter doesn't want to meet Jesus in the eye. He doesn't want to look at him. But by the end of the exchange, they're looking eye-to-eye to each other, eyelash-to-eyelash. I just liked it. I thought it was a beautiful way to kind of understand this passage. But then I also, I did a little research just to see what would happen. Comes to find out that this eyelash to eyelash phrase, it comes from Catholic tradition. And it's actually connected to the Latin root words that make up the word reconciliation. So in Latin, the word cilia means eyelash. And the word con means with. If you speak Spanish, you know that. So if you're concilia with somebody, you're eyelash to eyelash with that person. 
But what happens if you wander away from each other and you become separated? You're no longer eyelash to eyelash. But then you come back together again. Re means to come back together again, to return. So reconciliation is to become eyelash to eyelash with someone else again. Peter's reconciliation brings he and Jesus face to face again. And in this moment, I can see Jesus looking at Peter with eyes of love and grace. And by the end of the exchange, I can see Peter looking back at Jesus ready to accept the mantle of leadership that Jesus is passing down to him, ready to follow Jesus wherever that may be. Jesus is inviting Peter to stay in close relationship with him, to stay eyelash to eyelash with him. My husband is a scientist, and so I did a little more research. And I also found out that cilia refers to small hairs that are found on, on cells and small organisms. And these hairs have a purpose. They help propel the organism. They help the organism to move. And without these hairs, the cells and the organisms would not move. They would just stay put. So in this context, reconciliation can mean to move with again. Peter has been forgiven, and he's enabled to move with Jesus again. And Jesus calls Peter to show his love through the actions of feeding and caring for people, of moving together again with people. Friends, the story of reinstatement and reconciliation, it's not just a story found in the Bible. It's not just a story between Jesus and Peter. You see, friends, that story is also our story. We have done wrong. We have turned our eyes away from God. We move according to our wills and our desire. We no longer move with God. And yet God has never stopped looking at us. God has never moved away from us. God is waiting to have an eyelash-to-eyelash eyelash moment with us, with each and every one of us, again. No shame, no blame. God is waiting for us to return to God and to move with God again. God asks each of us, do you love me? If so, Move with me, tend to my people, and follow me. Bishop Michael Curry gives a powerful example of reconciliation from the lives of his parents. His parents were dating. It was in the 1940s in Chicago. His mother has become an Episcopalian, very high church. And his father is a Baptist. And so the two of them go to worship together at his mother's church, where there were just a few black parishioners in worship that day. And his father was sort of skeptical of the stoic, stiff, and formal worship of Episcopalians. So when it came time for communion, uh, his father stayed back in his seat. He didn't go forward to receive communion. 
He watched and waited as Bishop Curry's mother went forward. Bishop Curry writes this of his father. He wondered if the priest would really offer her the common cup. And if he did, would others continue to drink from the same cup? He held his breath as my mother sipped. And as the cup was passed, the next person did drink. And the next, and the next, and the next. When he told that story, he would always say, any church in which blacks and whites drink out of the same cup knows something about the gospel that I want to be a part of. You see, friends, it was 1940s in Chicago. Jim Crow and segregation were the laws of the land. And yet in that Episcopal church, black and white people saw eyelash to eyelash with each other. And they moved together with each other to receive the grace of God. And who knows, that grace of God may have propelled them out of the church, into the world, to feed people and to tend to God's people. Bishop Curry's father experienced just a glimpse of God's kingdom that day and a bit of God's reconciliation through black and white people receiving communion from the same cup. Friends, God is waiting to have an eyelash-to-eyelash moment with you. God is waiting for you to return to God and to move with God again. God is asking you today, do you love me? If so, move with me. Do you love me? If so, tend to my people. Do you love me? Follow me. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give thanks that you are a God who does not give up on us. That you are a God who is faithful to us, who pursues us, who forgives us and makes us new. God, we pray for your spirit to work within each of us today. May each of us have an eyelash-to-eyelash moment with you and learn how to move and step with your spirit. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.